Thank you for listening to the Bible preaching ministry of Dr. Tim Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. Then you get 
have some pictures here for you. Start leveling all the weeds and then make the plans for the building. Ordered all the steel and come rolling in. I mean, a lot of work went behind the scenes. Months and months and tens of thousands of dollars just to get to the point where we could even begin to begin. Imagine all the work that went in just to get it to that point, and then here we are. We have the land. We have all the plans. All the steel is here. And then we just let it sit on the ground. One month goes by. Two months go by. Six months go by. A year goes by. Several years go by. A decade goes by. We never actually do anything with all the steel, all the work that went into it. You would say, boy, that just seems so meaningless, and I think that's what we would all agree. Now, 1 Corinthians 15, and you can get your Bible to go there, get your uh, pad, we'll be looking at it just a moment, we'll show you the verses. 1 Corinthians 15 is the single most amazing
You should be unmovable, and you should always be abounding in the work of the Lord. Now, those three things we're going to look at this morning. The commands of Christ. There are over 800 commands in the New Testament. Now, many people know about the commands in the Old Testament, certainly. They know about the Ten Commandments. But there are actually many commands in the New Testament. All of them wonderful. When interpreted correctly and applied wisely, they are so amazing. We're calling them the commands of Christ in the, their New Testament. And in the New Testament, Christ is up front and center. All of the commands, these 800, are incredibly positive in the value. Some, however, are stated in a negative fashion. For example, God says, avoid troublemakers. A good plan, for sure. In other instances, like today, they're stated in a positive way. I want you to be something. I want you to do something. And so today, the first, uh, the three B's of 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Church historian Jarsaloth Pelican said, and wisely, beautifully, if Christ is risen, nothing else matters. And if Christ is not risen, nothing else matters. It's so true. Yes, all of human history revolves around whether, in fact, Christ, Jesus is God in the flesh, and he rose from the dead. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then we are still in our sins, and I guess then, the real point to life is to just pursue pleasure and just live all we can and then die and rot in the grave. But since Jesus did in fact rise from the dead, then our entire life should be in allegiance and be focused on the fact that we have a living Lord and not just a fallen founder. Easter. The truth that turns a church from a museum into a ministry. That's what we're going to talk about today. Let's all bow our heads, please. Father, this morning, I thank you for the great truths. How my heart has been so blessed this week, Lord. And this morning, my Lord, it just feel like sometimes I'm going to pop corn. I'm so grateful. Now, Lord, I pray that you will use me to communicate this great truth. Lord, may we be different. I pray that, Lord, our hearts will be open to this truth and we'll be transformed by it. And we'll praise you. I want you to look now at the most amazing motivation for ministry that there could possibly be. Now, um, we read verse 58 together. Let's just look at it quickly before we go to these points. Notice what he begins with in verse 58. Therefore, that connects us to all those verses, verses 1 through 57, and specifically the last few verses. Therefore, it is a word used frequently in 1 Corinthians. It's a word that always has a practical conclusion coming from the preceding doctrine. Or as one wordsmith said, doctrinal declarations should always lead to dutiful directives. <laughs> That's right. Here, the apostle is wanting us, God is wanting us, there should be a practical thing that takes place for all the doctrinal that comes forth. As we say, you need to not only talk the talk, you need to walk the talk. That's what verse 58 says. It says, therefore, 
wanting us to look before. He wants us to look back. Well, I want you to just listen for a moment. And I'm going to read verses 51 through 57 because I think that's kind of the immediate context of what he's saying. And as I declare those verses, I want you just to kind of drink it in. You can follow in your Bible. You can just sit there and listen. Verse 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal, this mortal life, must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be unto God, which giveth us the victory through Jesus Christ. Now, if you are a believer, you are a big B believer. I mean, you are a Bible-believing believer. You know what this is saying. You know this is saying Christ has come. God the Son has come in the flesh. He died for you. Yes, you. You were on his mind when he was on that cross. He took all your sins on himself. He paid your penalty on for your behalf. The sting of death, therefore, is removed. There is no condemnation to those who put their trust in Jesus Christ. That means no hell. That means no fear. Your body may be laid in a casket or your ashes spread somewhere, but I will tell you, 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 the real you, will be with Christ in heaven. The trumpet will sound. Our mortal bodies will rise. This old decaying body will become imperishable. Death is swallowed up. There will be no more death. Because Christ has wrought the victory. Surely, as it says in the Bible, to die is gain. Or as Paul said in 2 Corinthians, absent from the body, present with the Lord. So that's all the basis for verse 58. On the basis of all that, now that's a whole lot of doctrine right there. I mean, that's just chuck full. You can just take one of those verses, just meditate on it. All, each day this week, take a different verse from Verse 51 on, and just say it to yourself. Hallelujah, you're going to be blessed. But now look closer at the verse, verse 58. Therefore, now, beloved, so let's not miss that. It is a Greek word, agapitos. It comes from the word agape. It means to be loved, as you might imagine, agape. But it means to be divinely loved. It's always used in of Christians that are united with God. Now, do you want to know just how beautiful it is to be beloved of God and the preciousness of it? The first nine uses of that word in the New Testament all are God the Father speaking to His Son. God the Son. He calls Him His beloved Agapitos. My beloved Son. And so we are born same womb. 
so people that become Christians are literally come from the same womb. It's a divine womb. Born of God. That's why the book of Titus says that when you become born again, you become regenerated. Have you ever thought about that word? It is the word regene. Genes, you get new genes. That means you're different now. When you get saved, that's why we have the same genes. And it usually doesn't take very long when you're around a fellow believer. No matter where you are in the world, you understand we have the same father. We came from the same womb. That is a divine womb. Notice what he says. He says, beloved brethren, from the same womb. He said, I want you to be something. Be something. That word's an amazing word. It's actually used quite often in Scripture. It is the Greek word genomat. It means to cause to become. It is not to simply sit there and wish for something to happen, but to cause something to happen. That's the concept. He said, I want you to be this. I want you to cause something to happen. It's the same word used in John chapter 1 and verse number 3 when it says all things were made, that's that same word, all things were made by him. Now, personally, I think there is a growing danger in the evangelical church of the 21st century. And I see it more and more as I see so many people doing the pajama church and not getting in there and being around others. And that is, we seem to receive biblical truth. We get it. We listen to it. But we don't apply it. We don't make it be. Friends, the Bible was never merely meant for information. It was meant for transformation. It is not something we're simply to be in the sense of like a rock. I'm just there. I'm a rock. I'm being a rock. No, it means become being. That's what it really means. It means become something. Now, what does God want us to become? Well, now he explains it. So he says, therefore, based on all these wonderful things that I've given you, all these columns and beams and nuts and bolts, let's not just let them sit on the ground. This doctrinal truth is for a purpose. It's for a reason. I want you to be something. And you've got to make some action. You've got to do something about it. And so here's what I want you to do. Three things. Number one, be firm in the Scriptures. Be firm in the Scriptures. And I would say that's the what of what we're talking about. Notice what it says. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be stead. Steadfast, that means to be fixed, firmly, solid. It means to be settled. It is really the same word to be sitting on a chair or settled in a chair. It means to be firmly established and confident in the truth of the Scripture. Are you confident that the Bible you hold is God's word? It's God's holy word. I believe that God's word is inerrant. I believe that God's word is infallible. That's what it means. It means I have no doubt in my mind that God's word is truly that. The Bible is, in fact, God's word. It means sitting confidently. All of us have chairs in our home that we like. Now, hopefully, the chair that you like is a chair that you're also confident in. You don't think it's going to throw you out. I have a few chairs, but honestly, if you sit the right way, you're gone. But, uh, 
you're confident on this chair. I mean, you, this, you like this chair. It's solid. That's what it's saying. It's saying, make sure that when it comes to God's Word, it's like a strong chair that you sit on and you don't have any doubts at all. That's what the truth of God's Word is. said, you need to be steadfast in your faith. My dear wife and I were privileged to see in one of our wonderful mission journeys in Rome, not far from the Forum there, there's something called the Arch of Titus. You may have seen pictures of it before. The Arch of Titus was built by Emperor Domitian in about 80 AD. If you look closely, at the top of the arch, there's something called a keystone. Now, a keystone was a very typical Roman architecture. If you remove that keystone, the entire arch will collapse. Did you know that the resurrection is the keystone of the arch upon which our entire faith is supported? Without the resurrection, everything falls. It is, that's why God said, be steadfast. Now friends, because of the sheer access to uh, biblical information and biblical misinformation due to the internet, false teachers are leading multitudes astray by the trails. We've never seen anything like it. And I've been at this for a few decades now. I have to tell you, I've never seen anything like it. There is so much misinformation, so much Biblical misinformation. Pastor Luke alerted me this week to a phenomenon that's wreaking such havoc in the Christian world due to the internet. Those of you who know a little bit about the the internet, you know that uh, Google and some of the other search engines uh, use algorithms. And the way that it works, and by the way, the way that it's going to work even more with all this artificial intelligence, is that the moment you click on a topic, maybe just because you're curious, and of course uh, people know how to have these really uh, spicy uh, little statements and questions and so forth to get people's attention, the minute you push on that, you need to know that now from that moment on, your computer has a cookie in it or whatever. It has a little marker that from that point forth, the moment you do that, you're going to begin to get all kinds of information about that particular situation. And so if you kind of pick one little thing of misinformation biblically, maybe it you know, gets your attention and they're good at doing that, then you become in jeopardy of falling victim to the, wow, there's so much about this. Everybody must be doing it. Hey, I don't want to miss out. That syndrome is happening. We have seen people say they just get inundated with false information. But that's why we need to be steadfast in Scripture. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 6, Therefore, we are always confident. I live a confident life. Now, when you read through Scriptures, you know that doesn't mean that he didn't have some questions about some things. I mean, for example, when he was talking to Timothy, he said, I hope to come to you. I'm not sure I'm going to see you, but I want to. And if I do, it's going to be great. He wasn't confident that he would see Timothy. But when it comes to Scripture, mm, that's a whole different story. We, in fact, are very confident. 
As believers in this evil world, we live in more evil by the day. More evil by the day, friends. We need to be steadfast. We must not be shaken. We must be steadfast in our beliefs. The great Old Testament prophet, the Christ prophet, Isaiah, he thundered to a fearful nation as they were looking at the enemy. It looked ominous to them. Look what he said in Isaiah 26 and verse 3. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, whose mind is steadfast, whose mind sits down on the truth of God. The great hymn writer Francis Hatterdale said, Stayed upon Jehovah, hearts are fully blessed, finding as he promised perfect peace and rest. Don't lose your focus. When our children were growing up, we might take one of them to a doctor when they had a situation. A little procedure had to happen, or a little shock perhaps, and a scare. Well, in order to help them get through the moment, we would try to distract them. Maybe we'd hold up a little stuffed animal or Barney or something and say, hey, look at this. One doctor I know looked at a little four-year-old church-going girl. He looked in her ears and he said, who's in there, Donald Duck? She said no. He looked at her nose and he said, Who's in there? Mickey Mouse? Again, she looked at him and said, No. He put his stethoscope on her heart and he said, Who's in there, Arnie? And little Amanda replied, No. Jesus is in my heart. Barney, he's on my underwear. <laughs> now, when the glorious truth of the resurrection has shifted down to our soul, it gets into our heart. It makes us steadfast. And we know where Jesus is. We know he is in our soul. So, come with me. I'm a Bible believer. I believe in the Bible. The B-I-B-L-E. Yes, it's good enough for me. And that's what we need to be steadfast. Confidence in Christ's resurrection includes our own raising from the dead. We're out of here. And that's what Paul was saying. He's saying, get a hold of this truth. Folks, the resurrection of Christ means you're going to be resurrected. Look at verse 52. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, the dead should be raised incorruptible. I'm going to share with you a terrible illustration. Rather unvarnished, I might say. The nice thing is, you'll never forget it. When we first started this building, we didn't have any restroom facilities. All we had were porta bodies. And they weren't very steadfast in my beliefs. I wasn't standing on the promises at that moment. I was sitting on the premises to be sure. When some rascal came and tried to shake my faith. He came to that porta body and he gave it a mighty shaking. And he definitely rocked my world, I will tell you. I was not happy. I won't tell you his name, but I will give you his initials. Brian Burnett. I have since learned you've got to watch out for the quiet ones. Watch out. But bless God, I will tell you, it didn't work. I'm still trusting God. He didn't shake me. 
Be firm in the scriptures. Number two, be faithful in your steps. <laughs> Let me tell you what my pastor talked about on Sunday. <laughs> All right, number two, be faithful in your steps. Here, I think we're talking about the how. Now, is there a constancy in your Christian walk? Are you all over the place? And that's what this second statement is. Therefore, my beloved brethren, people who are born of the same womb, be something. I want you to be active. Be steadfast. Find a good place to sit in your faith and stick there. Also, be unmovable. Be unmovable. Now, if you were to Look at your Strong's Concordance or go to your app there, your Blue Letter Bible.com or org, whatever it is, but Blue Letter Bible. You would go uh, there and uh, find it in the lexicon. You would see it maybe easier, but it's Amatic Caneo. comes from the word Caneo or kinetic, like kinetic energy, which means something that moves. We actually get our English word cinema. From this Greek root. Cinema. Cinema is something that moves. It's a moving picture. And here Paul says, don't be a cinema. Don't be a moving picture. If we were using a photography kind of illustration, it would be, be a still shot. Don't be a moving picture. Now, moving pictures are constantly changing. I mean, the scene's changing. The place is changing. It's always changing. Paul said, don't be a always changing person. Be a still shot. Be someone who's solid and, you know, like a, those pictures you have on your mantle. You come back in a month, it's still the same. You come back in a year, it's still the same. It's, thank God for those. They mean, they are unmovable. The knowledge of our resurrection should breed consistency in our Christian walk. Immovable means not knocked over by sudden blows. Keeping your balance as you walk along. Pauline and I love lighthouses. We've been to several on the West Coast, and we kind of have an unofficial little goal of going and seeing different lighthouses. Here a few months back, we went to the Point Reyes lighthouse that you see here. Point Reyes there, north of San Francisco, is a beautiful lighthouse, one of the most beautiful on the entire West Coast. Very unique one. It's a long little trip down. But uh, it's unique in that it juts way out into the Pacific Ocean. And the average wind speed is 40 miles an hour out there on the uh, point there. Usually in the 50s, so it, it freezes you, I'll tell you for sure. Well, we were walking along, and one thing I realized, if I was going to make it without falling over, I had to hold on to the handrail. That's really what Paul is saying here. He is saying you need to have some handrails in your life because the devil is going to be blowing constantly and it's a cold wind. I can remember when my World War II U.S. Navy veteran father told me about being on the ship and he said, you know, when you're on a ship, you got to hold on to a rail or at least kind of have your hand close by. He said, you kind of have to keep your knees a little bit bent. You can't be locked knee." And he said, when the wind is really blowing, you lean into the wind. You know, the same thing is really true with the biblical truths that we carry in our hearts. They are a rail that we hold on to. When 
guardrails of the gospel. Colossians 1 and verse 23, that you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, be not moved away. There's that same word again. That word cinema. Don't be, don't let the gospel be a cinema to you. Don't let it be changing all the time. Get solid. It seems like there's always somebody messing with the gospel. Somebody messing with the simple, beautiful gospel of death, burial, resurrection for my salvation. Jesus paid it all. Friends, all I can do is receive salvation. He paid it all. It is plus nothing and minus nothing. It's not taking the Lord's Supper as good as that is. It's not baptism or good works. The Old Testament true story of Noah's Ark, I think, is a good example that we could use to remind us how Satan tries to shake us. By the way, a worldwide deluge is one of the most substantiated geological events in world history. Even somebody with an untrained eye can see that. We were in Chile the outskirts of the Atacama Desert, we were hundreds of miles inland. This is the driest place on earth, the Atacama Desert. I think we have a picture here. Every year they only get million inches of rain. We were walking out there. Clearly, where we were walking, it had been the bottom of a lake or the bottom of an ocean. But and I, oh, I told the missionary, I said, so this was all underwater. He said, yeah. I said, it never rains here. He said, yeah. I said, this is from the flood. He said, yeah. And uh, I said, well, what do the fake scientists say? He said, oh, he said, they're crazy. He said, they'll say this or that. In fact, one of the scientific theories they say is that because of all the indigenous people, they have these really amazing markings out there. You've probably seen them, you know, big, huge markings on the ground. They say aliens did that. Really smart, those scientists. But anyway, follow with me for just a few moments. Let's go back to the ark. Here's the boat. Get on the boat. Noah said, get on the boat, get on the boat, get on the boat. The devil said, don't get on the boat. Don't get on the boat. Boat's bad. Boy, I tell you what, he was successful. The whole world, other than a few remnant. Man, I mean, he convinced the whole world. Successful. But he wasn't totally successful. And a remnant of people, whom we all were derived from, got on the boat. But do you think that the devil quit pounding at them? No. I will tell you, he tried everything he could shut Noah down before they went. He tried to shut them down once they got on. By the way, just a reminder about the ark. You know, they said you'll never float, but you know, it was experts who built the Titanic. But did you know it was a novice preacher who did it God's way and built the ark? And so I tell you, the ark is a, from God. But anyway, the old devil, he's going to try to get him off of that ark. So the wind is blowing, and he they shake, and they fall down on the deck. 
The fact of the matter is, if he can't get you not to go on the ark, he's going to try to get people to fall on the ground and not hold on to the rails. Not grab on strong and let, let the, this be all pushed all over the deck. They might be saved, but they're useless if they're rolling around with it. The fact of the matter is, Satan uses even more energy in trying to help us lose our confidence than before we're even saved. Think about that moment that you got born again. All the conflict that you felt. You know, you know that once the day that you accepted Christ, it's not, that battle is not done. You can count on it. More or less, the devil will do all that he can to blow your faith, to bring a rogue wave over your life, kind of destroy your feelings. Jesus had the same situation. In Luke chapter 4, verse 13, Jesus was in the wilderness, it says, and the devil had ended all the temptation and departed from him for a season. The devil said, I'm leaving, but I'm coming back. And I promise you, friends, the devil is always coming back. He's never going to just leave you alone. It may, like the storms we've had this winter, it may be one atmospheric river. Oh, are we finally done? Nope, there's another one coming. And then there's another one coming, and then there's another one coming. That's why we need to be solid. Hold on to the rails of the truth of God. Don't be a cinema. Paul said, quit. Go on here and there doctrinally. The writer of Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 9 says, don't be carried about. Don't be blown around. Carried about with diverse and strange doctrine. Diverse is an old English way of just saying different. Different than what you've been taught. And what is it about Things that are different. I mean, everybody just loves it. Oh, this is new. Hey, folks, when it comes to salvation, I don't think I want it. I want, I want tried and true. And that's what Paul said here. He said, don't get the different stuff. And then he said, strange doctrines. Friends, I will tell you, the doctrines out there are getting more strange by the day. I mean, unbelievable. Even some of the main things are just absolutely strange. You take, for example... Mormonism. I mean, the false cult of Mormonism is just flat strange. Seriously weird. That a guy in the 1800s walking along and some angels came and gave him some golden plates. Of course, just him. And of course, they're gone. But God told him how you get to heaven. And from that, and he had all these other, oh my goodness, come on. I mean, just plain weird. And I mean, when the Bible says that doctrine is strange. It is that simply strange. Thank God we have something in our hands that has been written. It is a written document. It's been here for thousands of years. It is a guardrail, a handrail. And it's written by somebody who could not even lie. Look what it says in Hebrews 6 and verse 18. That by two immutable things, in that which it is impossible, for God to lie, we have a strong consolation. Folks, what greater comfort can there be that we have a guarantee written from someone who cannot lie? It cannot lie because God's nature won't let him lie. Ian Blakelock, professor of classics at Oxford University, said, How good are the facts concerning the resurrection? I tell you that the evidence for the life, death, and resurrection of Christ is better authenticated than almost any fact of ancient history. I mean, 
firm in the scriptures. That's the what. Be faithful in your steps. That's the how. And number three, be firm in your service. Now this is the why. Paul, for 57 verses, laid out the beams, the columns, the nuts, the bolts. Here's all the truths you have. Now let's build a house. Let's build this thing. Don't just uh, do nothing with it. He said, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast. Find you a good chair, solid chair, stuck on. I want you to be unmovable. Don't be like a cinema all leap here and there. Just stay still. And then always abounding in the work of the Lord. Get saved, get sanctified, then get going for the Lord. Go to work for God some way, somehow. Always be abounding in the work of the Lord. Do you have strong hands? Then use them to build something for the Lord. Do you have swift feet? Use them to go serve the Lord. Do you have a big mouth? Some of you do. Then open it up for Jesus. Do you have strong knees? Then pray, my friend. Do you have a fat bank account or a skinny bank account? Then give. Everybody can do something on the road. The Greek word there is parousio. It's an interesting word. It means more than's expected. More than enough. Abounding. It means exceeding the boundaries, overflowing. It's actually the same word used in Matthew 14 when it says that after Jesus fed the 5,000, they had an abounding number of loaves. It's the same word. It means just so much. Overflowing. Are you an overflowing worshiper? Are you an overflowing prayer? Are you an overflowing giver? Are you an overflowing witnesser? That's what God is saying. He is saying, I want you to be so busy in the things of the Lord. It's just always, you're just busy about it. And notice what it says, always. Always abounding. Always. That means always. When you go to work, you're actually to be working for the Lord. When you are in your neighborhood, I'm actually working for the Lord. When you're out playing sports, yeah, you can do all that, but it's actually working for the Lord. Because if there's no resurrection, then forget all that. Just go out and dance the night away. But there is a resurrection. And because there's a resurrection, it says always, in everything we do, always go overboard, abounding, in the work, by the way, is the work of the Lord. It is the ergon. As in ergonomics, it is the work. Now, notice it doesn't say preaching. Preaching is a work of the Lord, but that's not what it says. It says the work. Singing, man, that's hard work. That's work of the Lord. It doesn't say singing. It just says, go to work for God. There's all kinds of works for God. Just go to work. And as we saw these last few days... It can be done in so many different ways. Sewing and cleaning and cooking and watching children and putting up signs. I mean, it's just amazing. God said, go to work and then know this. Notice the verse. Your work is not in vain. That means, know this, that any work you do for God, whatever it is, you are going to be blessed because of that. It is it is gonna, it is gonna, you're gonna meet those works, as it says in the book of Luke later. You're gonna meet them. We ought to have the kind of attitude 
like Paul's wonderful associate Epaphroditus in Philippians chapter 2. Epaphroditus was this amazing brother in the Lord. And he was faithful. He wasn't a Paul, but he was a great worker with Paul. Notice what it says in verse 30. Because for the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death. That's what I would call abounding. Overflowing. Overflowing the edges. This man was Mr. No Excuses. You know anything about Epaphroditus? You know, he was the one who took some care packages from Philippi, went to Paul when he was in Rome in, under house arrest. He also took the manuscripts, the original manuscripts for Philip, for Philippians from Paul to the Philippi church. Paul knew this man was faithful. He was Mr. Faithful, always abounding. It actually, it actually means to overwork. Abound is actually the word for overflowing or overworking. It means literally getting tired for the Lord. Have you ever gotten tired in the Lord's work? Well, I know many of you have. And, but getting tired for the Lord, you say, well, I just need to rest. No, I think we ought to try to do what we can to have time for resting and time for, uh, I'm a firm believer in having some exercise and getting some diversion, traveling, going places. But it's not, that's not the end in itself. That's just something so that you can go back to the work and be better placed. And here's what it says in Revelation 22 and verse 12. Wear yourself out in the service of the Lord, and then know this. Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give to every man. In light of the resurrection, work hard. Only one life will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. Notice what it says, it is the work of the Lord. Whatever work is done, it's His work. I'm just His servant, and I'm His vessel, I'm His worker. He empowers my hands. I'm, uh, look what it says in Psalm 115, not unto us, O Lord, if it's done good, Lord, it's all to you. Unto you, unto your name give glory because of thy loving kindness. By the way, it says the work of the Lord. The word Lord there is the word for master, curios. It means my absolute master. I'm a long servant. I'm here to be your servant, Lord. And it's not in vain. It's not for nothing. As it says in Hebrews 6 and verse 10, God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. Keep on going. Keep on working. And God will do a great work in your life. Ignacio Jan Federowski was a famous Polish composer. He's a pianist. He was once scheduled to perform at a great American concert hall for a high society extravaganza. In the audience that night was a mother with her fidgety nine-year-old son. Weary of waiting, the boy quietly slipped away from her side, strangely drawn to that beautiful, shiny Steinway on the stage. Without notice from the audience, he sat down and began to play at that piano, chopsticks. The roar of the crowd turned quiet and then to shouts 
as hundreds yell, get that bullhead away from there. Did Paderewski heard the pups roar backstage? He looked out, saw the little boy playing that piano. He grabbed his coat. He ran over and rushed behind the boy. Reaching around him from behind, he whispered in his ear, keep playing. Don't quit, son. Don't stop. Don't stop. There, the master began to improvise a countability for the chopsticks that were being played, and the two of them played together. All the while, Paderewski was whispering in the boy's ear, don't stop. Don't stop. And I will tell you, there are times when all of us are like that little boy. We are doing our best to do our life, and it just feels like chopsticks. And we feel like giving up. Life becomes overwhelming, and the devil's wind, and the devil blows at us. And we wonder, what can we do? And it's easy to give in to those temptations, but just as Paderewski stood over that young boy, encouraging him to go on, God stands over us, encouraging us to keep on going. And here's what he says. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know, your labor is not in vain. And so in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our weariness, our song sometimes may not sound so beautiful, but always know this, Christ is working behind the scenes to perfect our song. Our job, let's be faithful. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed this morning. I'm going to ask our worship team to come. And I would like to sing a beautiful chorus. We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, Thank you for joining us.